Hello and welcome to the Spiked podcast. I'm Fraser Myers and joining me this week are Spiked's deputy editor Tom Slater. Hello, hello. And Spiked columnist Andrew Doyle. Hello. This week on the podcast, we're discussing the curious case of the Nazi pug, the gay cake decision, and the Ramona rock stars who want to stop Brexit. My girlfriend is always ranting and raving about how cute and adorable her wee dog is. And so I thought I would turn them into the least cute thing that I could think of, which is a Nazi. See, Kyle. See, Kyle. See, Kyle. That is a funny dog to make do that. It is, and also, because the proportions, it must be harder for him to get his little leg above his head. Two years ago, Marcus Meekin was working in a call centre when he made a video of his pet pug performing a Nazi salute. Little did he know it would turn his life upside down. He was arrested, charged and found guilty of posting grossly offensive material online. Spiked went to meet the man behind the meme for our latest film, The Curious Case of the Nazi Pug, which is available to watch now at spiked-online.com. Andrew, you've been following the Marcus Meekin Count Dankula case from the start. Why did it first grab your attention? Because it was a person going to court for a joke, effectively. And I thought that was a really uh, shocking development. I'd written about it fairly early on because it wasn't getting much coverage, uh, particularly. Um, And at the time when I was writing about it, I didn't genuinely think that this would go as far as it did. I mean, the court case was ultimately, it took about two years through all the investigation and everything else. Um, and initially, I just assumed it would be thrown out. Um, I, th- I believe even the uh, the people after he was arrested, the officers that he spoke to thought, oh, you know, this won't go particularly far. But it, it did. It went all the way to a full conviction. Um, and even leading up to the actual trial itself, I was I was convinced that it, it w- he wouldn't be found guilty. One of the reasons why this is such a landmark case uh, is that it's an example of somebody clearly making a joke i mean if you watch the original video the context is absolutely clear i don't know if the if everyone's heard it but if you if you if you see the original video in the video marcus says um my girlfriend is always talking about how cute and adorable her dog is so i've decided to turn it into the least cute thing i can think of which is a nazi and then he trains the dog to do the salute and the rest of it so of course what that means is the joke is is predicated on the idea that nazis are evil that nazis are vicious right so that's the that's the basis of the joke the context couldn't really be be any more clear if he tried and so what was very surprising about this is that when he was arrested the arresting officer said to him you are an actual nazi trying to encourage people to become nazis which is incredibly stupid uh, and uh, or a, a bit sinister. You know, it's it's got to be one or the other. Um, and this was a, a mindset that carried on all the way through to the final ruling by the judge. Um, and the entire prosecution seemed to be based on the idea that they knew what was going on in his head when he made this joke. And what was really driving it was latent anti-Semitism. The Cyber Crime Intelligence Unit were involved. The police investigated him for two years, trying to find any uh, element of far-right sympathies, any evidence of anything fascistic whatsoever, any anti-Semitism and found precisely nothing. So even by the prosecution's own um, admission, uh, there's no evidence at all that Marcus Meekin is in any way far-right, with the exception of this video in which he says to the pug the phrase, gas the Jews and Zeke Heil, which admittedly are horrible phrases, but that is, as he explained in the video we made, that is the joke, the juxtaposition between the cuteness of the dog and the severity of the phrase. I can't believe that has to be explained. It's such an ob- it's an obvious joke. Mm. And as you point out in the film itself, Andrew, we should mention you're the kind of presenter in this. You go to meet Dankula in 
Scotland um, to see what he's all about is the fact that also context changes everything in relation to yes. free speech, comedy, anything. And as you say, those phrases, Zeke, Kyle, Gas the Jews are horrible phrases. Um, but when you say them to a pug, that changes it. And yes. as you say in the film, it's actually quite a funny video. You know, that's the other yes, thing exactly. which is interesting about this whole case. It's the fact that um, not only when you're defending free speech in general, but also a lot of the cases which have been caught up in this clampdown, really, on offensive speech, particularly online, you do end up defending the indefensible, seemingly. You know, teenagers firing off racist tweets at footballers, as was the yeah. Liam Stacey case a couple of years ago. Um, you know, students saying horrible things about teachers who had just been murdered in Leeds. These were kind yeah. of some of the landmark cases to begin with the fascinating thing about the Dankula case which in some ways was so easy for people to defend him he was quite clearly joking he's a kind of self-styled YouTube comedian and he's making jokes effectively at the Nazis expense that's that's really the underpinning of the joke and it nevertheless and this is something that is teased out in the film is the fact that very few comedians came to defend him and I think what's kind of so shocking about this and why I think it's really caught fire and gathered a lot of interest not just in Britain but around the world is the fact that we're not really just talking about defending free speech for the indefensible anymore for people who want to divide us who want to spread spread kind of hate-filled propaganda we're also just sticking up for the right of people to make offensive jokes and have a bit of a laugh. And I think that's something that really shines through yeah. in the film. But what would be interesting to hear from you, Andrew, as well, is that actually what is he like? Because it, what, one of the quite striking things about this, and again, the people you shouldn't just defend free speech for people who seem like nice guys, but is that he seems like quite an ordinary, yeah, genial is, bloke. What was is, it like meeting him? I this is the thing. I mean, yes, I, I, I spent the weekend up there and we made the film, and he's a really lovely guy. And, this is the, and so in that sense, it is easier to defend him because um, I know that he's a good person. And of course, like you say, um, I mean, what is it? 3,000 people were, were investigated last year, or at least... It's over 3,000 are yes. arrested. Oh, not right. Just inv- are arrested for what they post online a year, which works out roughly nine people a day. Right. And a, which and is extraordinary. Absolutely. And a lot of those people, as Tom implies, are going to be horrible people <laughs> who say really horrible things. And it's, it, it becomes very difficult to defend those sorts of people. But of course, I still would, mm. uh, because I b- believe in free speech. Absolutely. Um so that is more uh, difficult but with when it comes to marcus uh th- this this is what i don't get is that he's clear he clearly doesn't fall into that category as you say tom it, it is clearly um a joke and uh he's not this evil fascist um and that's so clearly the case well uh, yeah one and one thing i i found really striking I, I mean i went up to scotland with andrew to um work on this film and you know, we we talked to lots of ordinary people. We'd just go around, you know, Glasgow and his local area asking people what they made of this case because it had become quite famous. And they all agreed. They, you know, they all thought this this was gone too far, that this is ridiculous. It was a joke. They understood the joke. Mm. And yet, as you alluded to earlier, there were lots of comedians, lots of broadsheet newspaper opinion writers who had decided, and I suppose this is why people didn't want to defend him they had decided that he was a nazi mm. so and they had made so, up their but, minds but it's also the question of the fascist. fact but that underlines a really important point which again is, is drawn out which is the fact that this um prosecution and eventual conviction was not because loads of people had seen this video jewish people for instance found it offensive and reported it to the police one of the fascinating things about this story is the fact that the police effectively took this video took it to various jewish community groups and found one who was willing to be offended by it and then the prosecution carried on from there on and it's one of those fascinating things which i think really worries people at the moment which is the extent to which the police are not only enforcing speech crime such as it already exists on statute but kind of 
creating it or looking for it absolutely they trawled um three million people saw the video before it was taken down by youtube three million people not one complaint that's a pretty good ratio for an offensive video um and yet the police somehow uh, managed to go ahead with the prosecution I suppose I should say in terms of the comedian question, obviously, because I am a comedian and, and I know a lot of comedians. And I, I, I would always say I wouldn't expect uh, comedians to necessarily um, come out uh, it, it, all guns blazing in his defense, because it's up to all, all of us individually who we defend, which battles we pick, all of the rest of it. You know, I'm not saying that. Um, what, what particularly surprises me, though, is the number of comedians who are willing to actually side with the state on this issue and actually side with the court and say, no, he does deserve to be punished. He does deserve to go down. That to me is very worrying and troubling because uh, because if comedians aren't defending the right to to tell a joke, then who is going to? You know, this is something I never anticipated would happen. But clearly, something has changed because if you think about the case a couple of years ago, when you know there was a man who said that he basically had threatened to bomb an airport. Essentially, yes, he he tweeted that he was so Paul, fed Paul up. Paul Chambers, isn't he? Paul Chambers, yeah. exactly. Paul Chambers said he was so fed up with with you know delays at an airport that he was going to blow he wanted to blow it up yeah and actually lots of comedians came to his defense because it was you know in the uh, the early days of twitter yeah. this is one of the first you know cases of online speech being put through the courts and even some of the people who defended paul chambers yeah were coming out against count dankula yes that's amazing that isn't this it? was a different you know of a different order something different was going on but actually surely it's the climate has changed and people are much more against free speech or indifferent to free speech it's not funny i mean i feel that my views on this have always been consistent uh, and i i think what's happening is here is that a lot of people are just going along with the, the change in the general climate it's almost as though they're not thinking for themselves perhaps <laughs> um but it does feel that way a little bit mm. and um what I what I am saying at the moment in, in relation to the Pug case would, I think, have been uncontroversial about 10 years ago. Mm. And I think it would have just been, uh, ev- I think everyone would be o- o- on the right side of this. Uh, I think something really sinister has happened. Something has shifted. We've, become, we've, we've kind of become accustomed to this creeping authoritarianism and we're sort of letting it go. Either that's through hate speech laws uh, or through this culture of offence by which anyone who feels uh, affronted by anything uh, is taken seriously mm. uh, when it comes to the potential for censorship. That is a, a troubling development and it seems like it's getting worse rather than better but there also seems to be what's so really um, unpleasant and strange and bizarre and terrifying about this case is that there's a level of kind of insincerity to the charges that are leveled against him it's hard to believe that anyone whether it was the scottish judiciary the police the prosecution services actually believed that with this video as they said in these court proceedings he was effectively trying to ferment (laughs) nazi sentiment (laughs) with his pug similarly all the comedians who not only just stayed silent but some of them did join the kind of pile on against him i think he says at one point in the film is that he doesn't genuinely believe that they think he's a nazi it's just because you do it's almost like this bloke who let's remember is was a kind of you know a bloke who's working in a call center outside of glasgow from quite a rough part of town as it turns out you know um not someone who is in the position to kind of subjugate anyone has kind of been thrown under the bus and criminalized in pursuit of kind of elite virtue signaling and nothing else it's that kind of really grim cynical uh, almost insincere aspect to it which is one of the most striking things about it i I suppose you could argue i mean i've seen some uh, situations where people have out of a lack of knowledge of this sort of shit posting culture, mm. you know, mm. which is part of the, the culture that Dankula occupies, um, 
they've misunderstood some of this stuff. So, for instance, there's the Kekistan nation and the Kekistan flag, which is a, a part of this whole world. And the flag resembles the Nazi flag. But the point of that is that it is a joke at the expense of Nazis. But if you see that from an outsider's perspective and you know nothing of this world, you might jump to the conclusion, as many have, that this is therefore an endorsement of fascism when it's actually the opposite. So I kind of understand that. Um, that and I also understand the point that some genuinely alt-right figures uh, do use humour to make jokes about people they genuinely hate and despise, okay? So that does happen. But that doesn't mean that if you make a joke about Nazism, you you support it. Mm. The, the, the leap in logic there, I find astonishing. Uh, and it certainly doesn't mean that that's the case when it comes to Marcus. Mm. And it, I, we should note as well as the fact that he was embraced by certain aspects of, if not the alt-right and certainly the kind of populist right in the form of Tommy Robinson. Yes, absolutely. Like, um, of course, um, Alex Jones and Infowars, may it rest in peace. Um, all of <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's still there. Somewhere. It's still there on the internet somewhere. You just yeah, can't floating get it around. floating around. Um, but nevertheless, I think what that really demonstrated was the fact that when the left and liberals abandon the field insofar as defending free speech, it will only be the right who rally to people like Marcus's defence. Yeah. Um, and the more and more we don't make that argument, the more and more we do turn it into a weapon for the right to use rather than something which is supposed to be for everyone. You're listening to The Spike Podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating and a review? It really helps new listeners find the show. This week, the Supreme Court ruled the Ashes Bakery were within their rights to refuse to decorate a cake with a pro-gay marriage slogan. The Christian Bakers had refused to do so as a matter of conscience. But they were taken to the court by gay rights campaigners and the Northern Ireland Equalities Commission. Initially, they'd lost their case. But finally, the Supreme Court have overturned the decision and have decided that they didn't discriminate against the gay rights campaigners in refusing to bake this cake. Tom, can you tell us why this case, which has been going on for years now, I think since 2014, why this is so much bigger than just a message on a cake? Well, it is so much bigger than that cake, and it's become a real flashpoint issue in the battle between kind of equality legislation, often weaponized against people of faith or people of conservative religious backgrounds, and freedom of speech. Because again, this case was brought under the pretense that the Ashes Bakery discriminated against this gentleman, Gareth Lee, um, who was affiliated with this gay rights group, wanted this cake with Burton Ernie on it, which had a pro-gay marriage slogan. But it was nothing of the sort, and this is what the Supreme Court... Um, agreed with was the fact that they weren't discriminating against Mr. Lee on the basis of his sexual orientation. They'd actually served him in the past and were happy to serve him in the future. It was the message on the cake. And it shows that one of the big battlegrounds for free speech at the moment is not just shutting people up, it's compelling people to say things that otherwise actually contradict their own conscience and their own beliefs. And that's why this is of such crucial importance, because in many ways, Telling, forcing people to say something that they don't believe in is as destructive to a free society as stopping people from saying what they believe in the first place. It kind of would turn public life into a kind of pantomime where you just sort of mouth what are the acceptable views of the day um, rather than actually express what you really think. And I think it also gets to the heart of a really unfortunate thing, which is the existence of somewhat conflictual groups in society, i.e. Um, religious conservatives along alongside LGBT people. These kinds of conflicts which are going to come to the fore from time to time, things which could be settled in a far more informal and far less loaded 
way have become via equality legislation huge legal incredibly costly you know funded from both sides by huge lobby groups and the the cost question is interesting because neither of the groups in and of themselves would have been able to afford this extremely lengthy legal battle i mean it's only because the queer space campaigners their case against the the bakery was taken up by the Northern Irish Equalities Commission that they managed to sustain it for so long. And it's only because the Ashes Bakery were backed by the Christian Institute, who also have enough money to kind of defend Christians in in these kinds of cases. But it, it it's quite scary in a sense that in perhaps different circumstances, someone with less financial backing might have lost this case, might have not have been able to take it to the Supreme Court. And, you know, we might have found ourselves in a situation where compelled speech in Britain is a reality. It strikes me that this this is so blow, overblown, it shouldn't really have gone anywhere at all. I mean, nobody comes out looking good in all of this, as far as I can see. You know, for, I mean, from my perspective, there's the, the bakers who, you know, this wasn't a cake that was endorsing ISIS or anything like that. It was a p- picture of Bert, Bert and Ernie. Uh, it was r- completely innocuous. You know, I, I sort of think, well, you know, yeah, we may as well just bake that then. That's fine. On the other hand, if I was the guy trying to get it baked, I would have been, oh, they don't want to. I'll go to another baker. You know, th- like no one comes out well here. Why does this have to go through the courts? Why are we even entertaining this? I was over in Belfast um, uh, soon after the event during the Pride uh, marches and there were police guards outside the Ashes Bakery because they were scared. This is an absurd situation. I mean, so I don't believe that gay people are going to trash a bakery anyway, but th- like this is a bizarre uh, situation. <laughs> Why has it gone this far? And ultimately, the truth is, uh, had it been the case that these people had turned this guy away because he was gay, that would be a huge problem and that shouldn't be allowed. Um, but they didn't. They turned him away because because of a principle that they hold that I find baffling anyway. You know, they clearly have a problem because of their... I don't know whether it mentions Bert and Ernie in the Holy Text, but, it, but there's clearly <laughs> it's clearly an issue that they have and whatever, you know, it's, it's just... It seems like such a trivial thing that has been exploded uh, into this huge, uh, massive affair. And it's quite interesting to note that once Peter Tatchell came out in defence of the bakery mm. and said, mm. you know, this is actually... You know, this is he, They have every right... Uh, to uphold their religious principles, um, he got attacked actually by by LGBT activists as as well for for saying that. Um, and personally, I just think I think it's a fairly open and shut case, isn't it? You know, if you if you're discriminating on the basis of sexuality, that should be uh, against the law if you're offering public services. But on the other hand. Uh, you should be allowed to, um, I suppose, uphold your own religious convictions. Mm. But this is the problem with the culture war, effectively, is that it inflames and makes incredibly important, otherwise trivial matters. You know, whether you're talking about who can go in a bathroom, who should bake what cake with what message on it. This is what happens when all these things kind of become inflamed and weaponized to the end of actually scoring particular points. And I think that's one of the things which is quite concerning about this, because this doesn't happen in isolation either, because there's a tendency to see this as a very Northern Irish thing, like um, Fanola Meredith from the Belfast Telegraph made a joke about how it was only in Northern Ireland that people could get so um, exercised by the perceived sexual orientation of baked goods. But nevertheless, there's obviously a broader <laughs> context here you see this in the u.s the masterpiece cake shop case which went before um the the u.s supreme court not too long Mm -hmm. ago and there is a worrying trend towards using these kinds of cases i'm not saying gareth lee did this specifically in this case there's no evidence to suggest that he did um as a means as i say to kind of score points and i think if we're getting to a situation where via the law people can effectively go into a bakery a print shop whatever it is run by people of a certain 
conservative religious bent and effectively say hey you stupid christian make this for me or else i think that's going to actually inflame these tensions more than they have to be because the thing about an idea about discrimination it's a very important thing that we guard ourselves against that in the public sphere which includes the marketplace people aren't discriminated against on the basis of who they are but you you make a mockery of that when you treat something which could have been dealt with or by literally going to another bakery as something which is again this huge um issue of lgbt rights is it partly because we're entertaining this or we're developing this culture of grievance you know i mean this guy said after the event that he felt like a lesser person Mm. now i i'm not denying the sincerity of that statement maybe he did right but if he did then there's a there's a problem with resilience there isn't there that uh, that you you couldn't have just gone to another another bakery so maybe that's that's part of it but i think you're right it, it, it's funny that we're talking about pugs and cakes this is the world we live in I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but that's also potentially why a lot of people think it doesn't matter and that's mm. also mm. perhaps why we are moving into this um pattern of authoritarianism because people can say oh well it's just a cake oh well it's just a pug but it's actually the the bigger principles behind these incidents that are troubling You're listening to the Spike Podcast. If you enjoy the show, why not support us by making a donation? Spike content will always be free, but we rely on our listeners and readers to keep producing more of it. If you'd like to make a donation, just go to spiked-online.com and hit the donate button. At the weekend, Bob Geldof and other musicians wrote an open letter to the Prime Minister saying Brexit would be a disaster for the music industry. Brexit would be a self-imposed cultural jail and the music industry risked losing its voice, they said. I mean, is this just a, another ridiculous Ramona rant or is there anything yes. more to it? Yes, <laughs> yes okay. no, completely. I mean, we've been told over the last, you know, over the last few weeks, months, years that leaving the EU would effectively destroy Britain, um, end women's equality, <laughs> uh, workers' rights that are our immunity to certain strains of VD would be somehow damaged by this. Super gonorrhea, I think you're referring to. Which is a recurring talking point on this podcast because it's so hilarious. But um, now Bob Geldof, etc. say (laughs) that effectively Britain's outsized cultural influence will be, was facilitated by the EU and therefore will be hampered by us leaving is just ridiculous. I mean, just on the face of when you think about around the world, our big kind of musical exports over the years you know whether it's Beatles Rolling Stones Bowie etc these are people who had their heyday before we joined the EEC let alone how the, did they make you know, it how, how did they make it in the industry exactly without the you know patronage of Martin Selmayr is <laughs> it is ludicrous but I think it just comes down to the fact that in the kind of fight against Brexit it doesn't matter how ridiculous the kind of rearguard remain set get and what I can't really get to grips with is they can't think that this is helping them. You know, the support of people like Geldof, the guy who, during the referendum campaign, led a flotilla of yachts down the <laughs> tents <laughs> to face off against fishermen and Nigel Farage. This kind of elite smugness of um, a handful of pretty well-to-do pop stars isn't gonna, really going to help them. And it comes back to this question we talk about a lot, which is, do they care that this is what they look like? Because it often seems like... They don't them. know. They come across as so pampered, these people. They, I love the idea that Ed Sheeran and people like that think that if they write an open letter... The, the the government's going to be like, oh no, Ed Sheeran's career might be damaged, so let's quickly reverse. Let's just ignore what seventeen point four million people said we should do. It's a, it's bizarre, and you see this all the time. Why we why do we constantly turn to musicians, and why do people think that a mu- a pop artist's a political 
opinion is any way interesting or important. Why are people now so excited that Taylor Swift has come mm. out against Trump? You know, yeah, yeah, like yeah. as if I, who gives a shit? Doesn't even really ridiculous. done that as well. No, <laughs> yeah. just, just voice support for some Democratic candidates or something. But that is an interesting point actually, because it gets down to this thing where, like the People's Vote campaign, pretty elitist, metropolitan political people and um, lobbyists, etc. They love these kinds of people because they see them as their kind of conduit to ordinary people. But mm. again, the idea that Bob Geldof, who again, his main contribution to our kind of cultural export has been terrible singing and elite smugness and, you know, <laughs> neo-colonial approach to the third world, just goes to show that they really haven't got a clue in terms of what people yeah, but actually got, well, I want, I want to sing as well. It, they? Oh, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. I wanted to come on to that because yeah. I, I, it makes me really, really happy that Bob Geldof is now complaining that he's losing his voice. Whereas about 10 years ago, you would have, you know, these musicians really would exert a great degree of power. I mean, they gave Bono a seat, the G8, for Christ's sake. You know, I'm glad we don't live in that world anymore. And finally, ordinary people are asserting, you know, their interests and we're not listening to celebrities. Yeah. So, that, you know, we've defied the celebrities in in Brexit. The Americans defied the celebrities in, in the Trump vote. But also the, the very fact that all of the people that seem to be coming out for this people's vote, people like Sir Patrick Stewart, Gary Lineker, etc. Um, these are very rich uh, people, are very well to do. It's precisely things like that that caused the brexit vote in the first place it's it's it was it was raining against the establishment against the overlords you know mm. i can't understand this mentality that seems to suggest that if people like Gary Lineker stand up there and say we need another vote, that people are going to say, oh, yes, Mr. Lineker, yes, of course, we'll do that. You know, it doesn't, it's actually the opposite of the way people think. It's going to generate more resentment, surely. They're so narcissistic, I suppose, that even though they think it's in the interests of the country to have a people's vote, they wouldn't shut up for the good of a people's vote. But it's also quite strange that it's assumed that people in the entertainment industry, let alone kind of like pop and rock stars, it's seen as their um, duty to line up with the establishment. You know, that's effectively what the whole Brexit debate, the whole when will Taylor denounce Trump <laughs> debate, the whole Kanye is an Uncle Tom because he likes Trump for some sort of weird idiosyncratic reason. All of this whole discussion is premised on the idea um, that it is the role of um, pop stars, people who we would previously think of as kind of cultural rebels, to line up with the status quo. And I don't know how we got to this position, frankly. Well, I don't mind that they have their opinions, obviously. You know, they're entitled to their opinions. They're entitled to say them. But can we all at least agree that it's hilarious? <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. ju- it's just really funny hearing these people banging on about this stuff. You know, uh, hearing Lily Allen going on about Brexit. She's a, you know, she's an independently wealthy person who sings about cunnilingus. Let's just call it what it is. You know, this, these, are not, <laughs> these are not people who are political heavyweights and they shouldn't be treated as such. Thank you for listening to the Spike podcast. For more Spike content and to watch the curious case of the Nazi pug, just go to spiked-online.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.